For the Millers, movie nights were once tradition. Now Sarah could hardly get through the opening credits, not on that old couch. But one day while shopping on QVC.com, she learned Lazy Boy recliners had slimmed down a bit. And in just a few clicks, Sarah got her Lazy Boy chair and a popcorn maker and a soundbar by Bose. And with one quick trip to QVC.com, Movie Night and Sarah's Back were saved. Shop QVC.com slash podcast and use code QVC20podcast for $20 off $40 for new customers. This is shopping brought to life. That's the sound of me prepping the grill with Reynolds Wrap. And the sound of me not doing dishes. And the sound of me spending more time outside with my family. Easy prep, cook, and clean. Make time with Reynolds Wrap. I like the sound of that. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the new Evangelicals podcast. All right, now, buckle up, because I have something new that we're trying. We are doing not one, not two, but a three-part podcast episode series with Brian and Shay from Queer Theology. This is a very fascinating conversation. We broke it up into three different, you know, um, Three different, um, wow, I'm having a brain fart today, but I'm not going to edit this. Three different episodes. <laughs> All that work was such a little, a little word. So the first episode is Brian's story. The second episode is Shay's story. And the third episode is what is queer theology and why did they start a website called Queer Theology? So today is Brian's story. I hope you enjoy it. It is, he starts off with a bang. I'll just put it that way. And you'll know what I mean once you hear it. So (laughs) that being said, thank you everyone who continues to share the podcast. If you like the work that we do and you can help us out by um, donating, that'd be super helpful. Um, Everything we do is completely crowdsourced. We don't do anything behind paywalls. We don't charge anyone for anything. And that's because the community is so stinking generous. So thank you to all of those who donated. If you want to get involved, you can click on the link in our show notes. All right. Without further ado, here's part one. All right. Well, Shay and Brian, I appreciate both of you uh, for, as I said earlier, doing this marathon you know, session with me because we're going to break <laughs> yeah. this up in, into either two or three parts, probably three parts. So thank you both for joining me on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for having us. Happy to be here. Absolutely. So um, I want to start on this episode, Brian, I want to dig into kind of your story, your background, who you are and spend time kind of unpacking that. And then our next episode, Shay, we'll dig into to your background. So Brian, you know, for our listeners out there, I don't know if they know who you are. Why don't you kind of give us some background? Who is Brian and what do you currently do? Sure. Um, I, in Christian context, I like to start off by saying that I'm an ethical slut because that tends oh. to get people's ears perked up. Uh, My ears are perked. Slut, a, a queer theologian and a certified relationship coach are sort of like the big brackets of, of what I do both personally and professionally. Okay. Wow. And, and, Sheesh. Okay. You're right. You got my attention. Full, full <laughs> disclosure. You, you win on that one. So what do you currently do? Like, like, like for work or are, are you excited? I know you and Shay started queer theology. We're going to dig into that yeah. in the future episode. Is that what you guys do full time? What does that look like? 
we both do a lot of things <laughs> to pay the bills and make the ends meet. Um, these days, I do queertheology.com work, and I also um, am a relationship coach for gay and bisexual men who are either in an open or polyamorous relationship or who are look or interested in open and polyamorous relationships to help them figure out relationship structures and agreements that work well for them and to sort of deepen and strengthen their current relationships and expand the possibilities of what's possible for their relationships. Okay. There's a lot there already. We're going to, I'm going to really enjoy this conversation with you. Let's start yeah. from the beginning. How did you and grow I grew up, up evangelical Christian? Just loving okay. Jesus, so there it is. All right. So you grew yeah. up evangelical Christian loving Jesus. What, what was that like? Did you grow up in more of a conservative evangelical bent? You might personally, I grew up homeschooled and in fundamentalism. That, that's kind of my background. So yeah. what is yours? So I grew up thinking that I was like just a regular Christian. I mean, because, you know, just because you went to church didn't mean you were actually a Christian, of course. Of course. Um, we all know that. Uh, and so we were just the real Christians. And then <laughs> when I went to college and I studied religion at a secular university, I learned, I took a sociology religion class and learned about evangelical Christianity. I was like, oh, that's what I was. Okay. We just thought we were real Christians. My professor was like, well, yes, that's a big part of being evangelical is thinking you're the only ones. Um, so I now <laughs> right. know that I grew up evangelical Christian. Um, and I, the church that I was a, a part of was uh, part of the evangelical, evangelical Presbyterian church. So it was mm-hmm. kind of like the worst of both worlds, just like double predestination, oh, yeah. five-point yep. Calvinism, terribleness, but also like, if you don't tell all of your friends about Jesus, you're not really a Christian. <laughs> you're going to hell also. Right. 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 I mean, God has already rigged the game, but also you better do your part kind of thing. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, I mean, that's interesting. So that I grew up, I grew up, I also grew up, my parents met on the bus to a young life camp in high school. And wow. Okay. Yeah. So young life was a big part of my upbringing and my mom was on staff like shortly after college and I went back on staff when I was in middle school and was the senior vice president of all of international young life. So everything besides the U S and Canada was her, her domain. Um, wow. So I also had a really big young life influence in my life. So um, those are sort of my two religious like contexts. And then in the midst of all that, I started to realize that I liked boys and there wasn't really a place for that. And so that caused a bit of a crisis of both identity and faith. Yeah, I mean, okay, so I, I share a similar background with the double predestination, feeling, you know, being told that you're just worthless pieces of garbage your whole life. And that yeah. al- alone, and I am a cisgendered, you know, white male, I had a, a crisis just on that part alone that set me like a three year, like, you know, thank God for therapy kind of mode in my life. Yeah. But now you have this other layer, right? Where maybe you're realizing that your sexuality is not at all conforming to, especially white evangelical standards. What was that like? Like, like when did you first started start to realize that? And what was that like for you at that time? Uh, yeah, I think that I, very slowly. Mm. So I remember being in the youth lounge of like my church and these guys were talking about like the, their mom's Victoria's Secrets catalog they were looking at and like how hot it was. And I was like, I don't know, you guys, that seems like we should be doing that. <laughs> you know, this is not objectifying women. And they were like... <laughs> No, I think it's okay. Like my mom gets it. I, was like, I don't know. I'm such a, I'm such a like pious uh, student. You know, like I had a girlfriend and from church in seventh and eighth grade. And like one of them, we never kissed. And one of them, like we made out a few times like that was it. And I was like, never sort of tempted. Um, hmm. 
And right. the, but I went to a public school. And so mm. I remember at some point hearing like the guys on the bus were looking at porn and I was like, ah, should I be doing that? So I, you know, <laughs> right. I went on askjeeves.com and I like asked Jeeves, like, how do I find pornography? <laughs> um, right. And Jeeves yeah, back in the day, for anyone who doesn't, doesn't know the search engine, it would like suggest questions for you. So it was like, where can I find naked pictures of? And then there was like a drop down, like men or women or both. And so I was like, well, women, obviously. And so I like... Right did that for a while. And then at some point, like notice that I was like starting to be drawn to like the guys in the photos. And I was like, what if I like clicked the mail button? Could I do that? So eventually I did that. And that opened up my whole world of like, Oh, there's something exciting here. But Mm. it also like, think like solidified this idea that like being gay was a choice because I was like choosing between men and women. So if I could just like not choose that, then I like, that was like the gay thing. Mm. Um, and so like, that was sort of like my first foray into it. Um, and then at some point this cute boy from Georgia moved to my high school and I became friends with him and I wanted to be around him. And we had this like connection and I just kind of like got a crush on him. And mm. that was like something I like couldn't turn off or just like not select. Like, and it wasn't even about sex. I was like, 16 right it was like I want to be close to you and I want to get to know you better and I want to be known by you and I want to like hold you and cuddle you and like hold your hand and like like I can't stop loving you Mm. um or whatever so like the 16 version of unrequited love is called right 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 Um, right. and so that was like oh shit I've got to figure out what to do with this because I like I can stop looking at porn but I can't like stop masturbating like all these like actions but I can't stop who I am Hmm. um and so my first thought was like well maybe everyone's just wrong like I don't know where in the bible does it say that it's a sin to be gay right that can't be right so I went (laughs) and I like looked up in the index of my teen study bible which I still have (laughs) back there like homosexuality and I like I flipped to the first thing and it was like this lesson box about how like like bestiality is wrong and sex with your close relatives is wrong and so is like homosexual sex and i was like well okay well like on to the next one like maybe the next one will be different <laughs> like mm-hmm. you know i just somehow mm-hmm. had this like naive hope that that sure. was the first the first lesson but somehow i thought like maybe the next one or the one after that would have a different perspective and they eventually all said you know being gay is a sin and aids is the result of like you know sinful behavior and stuff like that And I just sort of closed it and I was like, I don't know. This seems like not the whole story. Um, I got it. Like, I got to figure this out. And I don't have the words for it, but I just have this sense that there's like something more to this conversation. Mm. And so I did a lot of Googling and that could be a whole other conversation. Asking Jeeves. (laughs) Yeah, asking Jeeves. But, you know, like I came across, you know, 1 Thessalonians 5.21. Shay will correct me if I'm wrong. (laughs) I always get it wrong. Um, It's like (laughs) test everything, hold fast to that, which is good. And so that's Mm. sort of like, I remember coming across that verse as a teenager and being like, oh, to question all of this is a faithful thing to do. And me figuring out my sexuality and my place in the church and how my faith fits in a part of this is like actually a very righteous biblical thing to do. And I don't have to be scared of the questions. And it took me like Mm. many years, I think, to find the answers to those questions. And we do the work Mm. at courtheology.com to try and make it so that people can do find those answers in a faster period of time. Um, but yeah, that sort of like set me off on this journey of trying to figure out like, 
well, if I like love this person and God is love, like how can this be wrong? And mm. what I've been told about what the Bible says doesn't seem to square up with just sort of like what I know that like God made me and I am good and I am loved. And so I got to figure, I got to find the answers to this. Yeah, that's really good. So during, so you it sounds like you're in kind of this period where you're in high school, you're this, you know, good Christian guy. And all of a sudden this other thing kind of hits you and you're like, wait a second, but I'm still a good Christian guy. Right. And then like, you're trying to, and you're doing like what, you know, I think any at the time, a good Christian would do, right. Okay. What's the Bible say about this? Yeah, Let's totally. turn the Bible. You know, this is my authority. And, and even now, even, even through my deconstruction, I still hold the Bible in high regard, but, but, but my, my view of it at the time was I'll just turn to the page. I'll find yeah, the verse totally. on it. And that is the answer. Yeah. So I, as you're reading these verses, right. They're, they're, they're called for those who don't know the clobber verses. There's like a handful of them that, that mention at least in our English translations, anywhere, anyway, the word homosexual and whatever else, um, as you're coming across them, what is this doing to your faith? At that time, you know, because I feel like maybe it's all of a sudden you're like, well, like really maybe even even like conflicted. But what were you doing with that? Yeah, it was. I mean, it was just kind of crazy making, you know, I was the Internet was a thing, obviously. And so I was doing a lot of like Googling. And so I would like read an article from like a affirming perspective that was like, here's why those clever passages don't actually mean what they say they mean. And this translation and this context. And so like, actually it's okay to be LGBT or to be gay really at the time. And I was right. like, Oh, okay. Like, I guess that makes sense. Kind of um, like, I don't really know what this word means. Like how can we be sure what that word means? But like, okay. But then I would be like, well, let me just like do some more Googling and like do some more research. And then I would come across another article that was like, actually, here's why that pro-gay argument is right. all wrong. Right. And here's the actual right. reason. Fuck, like, yeah. And by the way, I would do some more research and I would like, find a third article. Like, here's why that, that rebuttal to this argument is actually wrong. And it actually is okay. And so I was just like this almost yeah. never ending hamster wheel of like trying to combat, like, you know, uh, like apologetics with more apologetics and academics, more academics. Right. Yeah. And it reminds me of that like cliche evangelical saying that like people aren't like argued to Christ. Like no one gets like debated into Christ. They're sort of like invited into a relationship <laughs> with Christ. Right. And I think that there's right. like something there of like, I'm not really sure that anyone is like argued into or out of homophobia. It's sort of like the culture that that surrounds them that like invites them to become more homophobic or invites them to become less homophobic. And so uh, at some point I just sort of like hit a breaking point where I was like, I don't, there's, this is all conflicting. I don't know what to make of this. All I know is that like, there's this thing with Robbie. And like, when I think about it, like maybe there was like a thing with another friend when I was younger. And I have this idea that like, there might be something with someone in the future. And so I'm just going to kind of like go to college and not go to a Christian college and sort of figure this out later. And Mm. just for now, like trust that like, God loves me and God is with me and that there's like nothing I can do to separate myself like from, from God's love. And so like, it's okay if I need to take some time to figure this out and maybe the answer Mm. isn't found in the Bible or in Mm. a like academic argument about translations or, you know, compilation or whatever like that. Hmm. So, um, were you, when, when you were going through all of this before you went off to college, were you part of like a church pretty consistently or evangelical church, I should say? Yeah, I was going to my evangelical church pretty like regularly. And then also young life pretty regularly. I think like, I, I, I think as I 
got like more sort of like aware that like this is part of who I am and this isn't going somewhere. I think I felt less uh, at home in my church that I had grown up in. And so I, I stopped going right. to that as much. Also, like I was in Boy Scouts and like the like Bible studies were on two, like I had like some conflicts there, but I was still pretty active in young life, like all the way like through the end of high school. And it was, it was actually really, so this kid that I had, a, this, this guy that I had a crush on, like I invited him to, to summer camp, my, what would have like in between our junior and senior year of high school, we were at like Lake Saranac. And so to get from Maryland to there, we had to leave at like 3am, the buses were leaving at 3am. And so everyone came over to our house at like midnight to just like wait, so like their parents could drop them off. And so his parents were going out of town. He came over earlier. And so we were like, let's like take a nap. Um, before like everyone comes over. So we were like napping and I had like two beds next to each other. And at some point he like got out of bed to go to the bathroom and came back and like hopped in bed with me. And we just were like laid there. And I was like, am I supposed to kiss you? Like what's happening here? Right. Like, is this right. a trap? I don't know what to do. And like, we heard my dad's footsteps. So we like hopped out of bed. And then we like went to Christian summer camp, like six hours later. And he became like friends with like some of the like quote unquote popular girls from our high school who I was also friends with, but like, I, being like a cool kid wasn't a priority for me. So I had a lot of friends and he was like, really wanted to be a cool kid. And so he became friends with them. And over the course of that week at Young Life Camp, he like got saved. And like, you know, I remember like on the day at the, the, at the day at Young Life Camp where you like go to get saved, he like pulled me over and we like brought me to the, the dock and we like sat the dock, like ostensibly, like while he like said the prayer to get saved. And mm. I remember afterwards being like, I know we, so we stopped being friends after that summer Mm. Um, because like he became friends with the cool kids, but I remember thinking like, well, he got saved. So like, it was wor- like, even though he's no longer in my life anymore, it was, it was worth it, I guess. Um, and so yeah. that was really this like cluster, this clusterfuck of like the young gay <laughs> angst, like heartbreak, but also right. <laughs> Jesus loving, like, I guess I did a good thing. Cause he's he right now, you know, won't burn in hell now, I guess. Yeah. So that's so, like, good, that was the know? context of like me figuring all of this out before I, before I left, <laughs> before I left for college. Wow. Okay. So what was college like then for you? So you're, you said you go to a secular college and you're just like, you know what, I'm just going to go with the flow here. Trust that God's got me in some way, shape or form. And what happens? Yeah. So I started to come out towards the end of my freshman year of, of college and was back home that summer. And this like cute boy with a Labrador, with a chocolate lab is like changed. I think like the course of my life that we met through mm. mutual friends, like from our high school. And he was out and had been out for a while and his parents knew and like everyone loved him. And we had a, like a, one of our friends had a sleepover to watch the season premiere of Degrassi, the next generation. And like, we like sort of held hands behind a, behind a pillow that no one could see. And then after everyone fell asleep, we like had our first kiss. And then the next day we were talking to the phone and he was like, so are you gay? Or like, are you coming out? Like what's happening here? Mm. So like I told a bunch of my friends, like Ben and I kissed last night and like, I think we're going to keep doing it. Mm. Um, and so then I was just out and uh, started showing up to like social gatherings uh, with Ben and our friends just like people told other people and it was just sort of, we were out and I had not yet figured out like the theology of it, but I was just like, this feels good. This feels like mm. really good. Um, and we lived like pretty like walking distance from each other. And in between our two houses was a national park. And so we would walk our dogs. We had like meet up and, and walk our dogs in the park together. Um, and I remember one day like coming back from the park 
and sort of like being at the edge of the park and like sort of like this bird was flying in and out. And I sort of was like looking at the, like the park and looking out into the suburbs and just thinking about like this park had become like our sanctuary where, you know, in 2000, whatever it was for, like you could get gay married in Massachusetts and that was it. Like homophobia was like still pretty prevalent, even like among non-Christian folks Mm. Um, that like the park was this like safe haven where we could just like let our guards down and hold hands and not have to worry about sort of like prying eyes or judgmental glares or sneers or anything like that. Um, and like, as we like got to the end, it was like, oh, here's like the harsh <laughs> real world. Uh, and I remember it sort of just felt like being cast out of Eden. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember like looking at him and like holding his hand and being like, oh, like bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. This mm-hmm. is the helper that is suitable for me. Mm-hmm. Like we fit together and like, it, I have like been sort of like wandering in the wilderness and it was like not good for me to be alone. And like now you're here and I like see a shared humanity in you and mm. I can like imagine a future that is like not only good, but very good. Um, and I like understood the story of the garden of Eden and Adam and Eve in this sort of like more real and visceral way than I ever had growing up. And I was like, Oh, like, this is me. I'm part of the story too. Mm-hmm. And like, I don't need to know exactly what arsenicotai means because like here's the helper that is suitable for me (laughs) and Mm. when i like now when i reread genesis i'm like oh like it was not good for man to be alone and so like god was like making all these animals like what about this and adam was like well that's let's call that an octopus like an octopus but like that's not that's not for me you're like here's a porcupine and like god Mm. was kind of playing like wingman to adam and ultimately god was trusting that like the man would know like who the helper suitable for him was. And it was just like, so very clear that Ben was that helper that was suitable mm. for me. And that sort of like changed everything. Mm. So, I mean, how did your, how did your parents react to all this news? You know, if they're your mom, you said that she was yeah, running like a very portion of young very life, well right? all at the same time. <laughs> okay. Right. Okay. Fair. <laughs> you know I mean? I think that she like said all of the right things. Like, I still love you. You stole my son. We support you. Even like, you know, like obviously gay people exist, but that's okay. But also right. like all the wrong things. Like, are you sure? I know gay people don't exist, but like, you're not one of them. Mm. Like, what about the Bible? Like, were you molested? Um, uh, and so just like, didn't, I think like they were doing the best with what they had at the time and what they had was not enough and it like, didn't serve me. And now they're fucking awesome. Now we can all sort of look back and be like, God, it didn't serve you either. You know, mm, you know my parents mm. have said like, we're so thankful that you're queer and <laughs> that you came out because like it improved our lives. Like we didn't know what we didn't know. And like we were doing the best we can and we're sorry that it wasn't good enough, but like, it's, mm. uh, it's all so much better now. Um, and so I think like my queerness, like not only liberated myself, but also my parents along the way. Hmm. You know, it's interesting you say that because um, I, uh, I have a, I guess a friend, I, I used to work at Starbucks back in the day. I'm 33. So when I was 18, you know, I think everyone who can grow a beard at age 12, like at some point works at Starbucks, you know, <laughs> yeah. it's the cool hip thing to do. And um, I was 18, you know, kind of experiencing the quote unquote world that your parents warned you about, you know, the first uh, for the for the first time. And I, the Starbucks I worked at was overnight. I, I worked the overnight shift. It was 24 hours. And uh, the first one of the, the main people it was only two of us, you know, on, on the shift. 
And uh, one of my coworkers at the time, you know, he turns out he was gay. And I'm like, okay, like this is, you know, different for me. This is new territory. Um, and um, man, just a great human being. And we kept in touch uh, through Facebook and, you know, I was 18 and, and a zealous Christian, right? I wanted to know God better. I wanted to understand church better. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, I would say good intentions, but not, not maybe always, always the best posts, you know, but I was always kind of like trying to reconcile, especially the issue of LGBTQ and the community that, that, that was inside of that issue. Um, and, um, one time I asked my buddy, uh, we'll, we'll call him Bob. That's not his name, but I asked Bob, I said, Hey, like, would you mind telling me your story? You know? And, and he told me over a Facebook messenger. And he told me that, you know, essentially when he came out to a youth pastor, the pastor kicked him out, called him an abomination and said, never come back. And I'm reading this story and I'm just like, my jaw is dropped. You know, I've never experienced anything like that in, in my life or heard of that story and I, I or heard a story like that before. And I obviously trust him. He's, he's a trusted friend. I know he wouldn't make stuff up. And that was honestly the beginning of like, okay, I, I don't have the theology maybe yet, right? I don't have the, the proof, right? Like like you said earlier that, yeah. that you know, here, here's the biblical evidence that this is totally, you know, either right or wrong. But I, I'm now I'm really curious. And that set me on that path. And my he actually messaged me about a month ago. We, we've kept in touch for over 10 years and said, you know, he was like, dude, I'm really proud of you and how far you've come. And I was like, well, honestly, man, it's because of you. Like, it's because of your yeah. story. You know, that, that really was the beginning of even myself learning how to... Um, just be curious about the Imago Dei in, in all humans, not just in white, you know, men who are yeah. evangelical. And so it's interesting that you made that correlation of how even your your queerness even helped liberate your parents in that sense. Because yeah. I'm, maybe I'm connecting now for the first time that same idea to what happened to me, and it it is kind of true in a weird way. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's <laughs> Shay and I always say like queer theology, like generally, and queertheology.com specifically, isn't just for LGBTQ Christians that like straight cisgender folks have something like really important to learn from queer people and from queer theology that will help you understand God better and community better and connect you to like the image of God and the people of God. And so like straight cis folks need it just as much as, as, as we do, even if it's like for us, by us, like, I think you're invited into the, into the table also. That's the sound of me prepping the grill with Reynolds Wrap. And the sound of me not doing dishes. And the sound of me spending more time outside with my family. Easy prep, cook, and clean. Make time with Reynolds Wrap. I like the sound of that. Yeah, no, it's been, you know, I'm still honestly full transparency. I'm pretty new in the journey overall in the grand scheme of life. But man, I'm just so fascinated. And it's been been really a big relief being able to say, you know what, like, like, the queer community must be included in what we're doing. And we, and we have, I have so much to learn. Like I, yeah. you know, it's, I, I, I've been a musician now for the 20 something years I play professionally. And it was one thing I've learned being a drummer for that long. It's that just when you think, you know, it, you really don't, you know, like, <laughs> like the more I know, the less I really know. And that's yeah. how I feel now in, in my theology. And even in my experience of life, it's like, wow, I thought I knew, but really I'm just scratching surfaces. Um, yeah. So let me ask you this then. So what 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 got you to 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 kind of like making this idea, you know, queer theology and this community like your thing instead of just like, okay, like I'm gay, I have a partner, time to get a nine to five job and just move on with you know with my life. Thanks a lot, church. But instead, <laughs> here you are and you and you're I'm interviewing you about church stuff. So what got you into that? Yeah, I mean that was the idea, right? Was I I went to, I studied film production at the University of Southern California. It's like oh, a really great cool. film school, and I yeah, 
Um, by the end of that was like producing entertainment news. My last semester, I produced a pilot for Ion Media Networks, which used to be PAX. Um, that ended oh, yeah. up like not getting picked up, but like I, I found some old notes and like we at some point we had an air date. Like it was gonna be like Thursdays at 7:30 starting October 12th or whatever day it was. So and then cool. it all fell apart at the last minute. Um, and I ended up doing um, this activism through Soul Force called the Equality Ride, which visits college and universities that discriminate against queer folks to start and sustain conversations about the intersections of faith, gender, sexuality, justice, sort of like confronting like, you know, Christian supremacy and Christian fundamentalism. Uh, and so a wide range of schools, right, from like super fundamentalist Baptist churches to Pepperdine and Notre Dame. Um and so some of the schools were like, yeah, sure. Come on. We'll figure it out. Like, let's do Bible study. Let's do, like, you can do a presentation. We'll do a presentation. Like we'll have a meal together. We'll like break bread. And some schools were like, absolutely not. You're not welcome. If you come like, here's a campus line, we will arrest you. And we were like, mm. okay, cool. Well, we're coming anyways. <laughs> and so um, we would come to whatever the school was. And at the places that didn't let us on, we would hang out outside the campus line and, some folks from the community would come out and talk to us. Some students would come out. And then at some point, some or all of us would sort of go onto campus anyways, and they would call the police and the police would come, or usually the police were already there because they knew we were going to be there and would arrest like whoever was still on campus. And it was this really eye-opening moment for these students to be like, I was in the middle of a conversation about mm. the Bible with another young person Right. some of whom are Christian on the campus of my Christian school. And you're like arresting them for, I don't understand how mm. that happens. <laughs> right. Um, right. And so like some folks dropped out of their schools. Um, I mean, some folks stayed at their schools and they were just annoyed. Some people were not supportive of us and were annoyed that we were there, you know, it was like a whole wide range of things. Mm. Um, but so I think like that was sort of like a big shift of like, I just like stood in the rain outside of Yellowstone Baptist in like Wyoming for 12 hours. I don't think I can go back hmm. to Los Angeles and talk about <laughs> like Paris Hilton and Britney Spears all day long. <laughs> right. um, There's bigger fish it, like, to it fry. It reminded <laughs> me of like, you know, in one of the, the, the birth narratives of Jesus, like the wise men set out, and they like meet Jesus and they're like so moved by what they encounter that the text tells us that they returned home another way. They were like forever changed and they couldn't go back the way huh. they came. And I sort of have this like, oh, like this was my sort of like manger moment of like, mm. I was like so moved by what I encountered in like you know, Yellowstone Baptist or like North Dakota or Southern California even that I like can't help but be transformed and I can't help but go back another way. And so that was sort of like the beginning of it. Um, and then my, my friend and I told this, like did a presentation at Seattle Pacific university um, about gender and Genesis partway mm -hmm. through the equality ride. And I told some version of that story about Ben and the park and some other stuff about gender and chromosomes. And like, it was a whole thing. And at the end of it, like normally at the end of these, like we, normally we had been sort of like, here's what those verses mean, or like, here's like progressive theology, like various sort of academic presentations. And we found that those worked really well. People who were already on board with LGBT issues, they were like, yeah, mm. like that's just the argument that I was looking for. Right. Um, or people who like wanted to be on board were like, oh, like now I get it. But if you were like a not already an ally or close to it, it just sort of was like talking to a wall. Um, and so we were at Seattle Pacific and we're like, let's try something different. And we totally reworked our presentation. It ended up being like standing room only 
seats, like spilling out into the hallway. And at the end of it, we got like a standing ovation at this like conservative wow. Christian school. And normally the questions were just sort of like, oh, how can we still love you even while disagreeing? And after this presentation, it was like, what needs to change? How can we support our queer students? Like, what's the first step in starting a GSA? You know, okay. before we left, an unofficial student group had started. Um, and I was just, we're working on a book proposal. I was just looking at their website and like, Seattle Pacific like explicitly affirms and welcomes LGBT students now. And the the group that started that day is like an official school club now. Um, and so I was like, oh, this is where the power is. The power is not in arguing about Leviticus or Romans or First Corinthians. It's in like boldly telling our queer stories and showing the ways in which Christianity like is and has always been queer. Like that is what liberates queer people and like soothes our weary souls. And that's also like what motivates people to see things in a new way. And so Mm. like I had this kernel of that there was an idea there. And then I met Shay through a mutual friend back when we both lived in New York and Mm -hmm. our friend Micah took me to, to see Shay preach. And he preached this story about Ezekiel and the dry bones um, mm-hmm. And I was like, oh my God, like he's doing brand new theology. This is not like, you know, how pastors often like, it's like they're quoting some like paraphrase of like some theologian who's like quoting yes. some like paraphrase of like Bob, the Nicene Creed. And it's like, yes. or it's like some generic story that like every pastor seems to have like a friend with a lemonade stand. Like this is like brand yes. new, like never heard anything like this ever before. And it's like queer and it's trans and he's like talking about bodies. And I like, I actually am excited about Ezekiel now. I've like never cared about Ezekiel before. Like this is so, so awesome. And so we became friends um, and we're just like really frustrated that the conversation everywhere online at conferences and Christian organizations was all about, is it okay to be gay and Christian? Is it okay to be transgender and Christian side A versus side B versus side X and like the great debate. And let's, we were like, Oh my God. There's like so much more to being a queer Christian and always defending ourselves against like what we're not. Like we want to yeah. tell stories of who we are and how queerness has enriched our lives and our faith. And we're not the first people to do queer theology, but it was, you know, like very academic and, you know, inaccessible. And so we were like, we want to make this more accessible and like teach queer people all the ways in which queer theology has like transformed our lives and draw upon other strands of liberation theology and like womenist theology and, and like, yeah, just sort of like make queer Christian, like liberation storytelling, a thing that mm. is more accessible to people. And so yeah, we sort of really started beautiful. it and people have been resonating with it. And so we just keep doing it because there's more people <laughs> who need to get free. Well, I, I think that's really great. Um, I get a lot of people um, in our DMs, you know, we get about 200 DMs a day, give or take on the topic, whatever it is we're talking about. And not only are there quite a few people who are in the queer community or who are just discovering maybe for the first time that maybe they're bisexual and, you know, what, what do they do with that? Um, that that's always one side of the conversation. And the other side is people who are, you know, we can use the the overused term deconstructing, you know, but yeah, that's, yeah, what yeah. That, that's what they say they're doing. And they're rethinking what it means to be a Jesus follower and, and, and the way I describe it to you know people who don't who always ask like what is deconstruction I always tell them for for our context not for everyone's really yeah. what we're doing is we're getting out of the basement of evangelicalism and we're exploring all of the rooms in Christian thought 
That's what we're doing. And it yeah. turns out there's a lot of rooms that we were taught were either dangerous or off limits or heretical that are actually like they live somewhere in the Christian tradition throughout history. And we yeah, should at totally. least be aware of them. So I like this because I feel like queer theology, and you mentioned liberation theology, that's a room that for, I, at least for me, up until like a year ago, didn't even know was in the house, right? Didn't even know existed. And it turns out, like, I'm starting to open that door. I'm like, oh, interesting. This helps out. This fills in so many boxes. So I think that's really cool. Do you think that there, one thing that I wrestled with, and I think we'll, we'll probably dig into this, you know, when, when, when it's both you and Shay together, but just kind of your perspective do you think there is a place for understanding and and interpreting these so-called clobber verses better? You know, and I say that because you know, if you look throughout, like even like modern evangelical thought, right? A hundred years ago, less than that, you had Bob Jones preaching sermons on why the Bible is clear. Yeah. You know that that the races should stay totally separate. Now we look back at that and say his interpretation was totally crazy, batshit nuts, right? Yeah, yeah. But do you think we'll ever get to a point, or or that? Is or that there is a place where we should have the arguments so we can get to a point where hopefully less than 50 years from now, we look back and say, those guys were batshit crazy, you know? Yeah, I think yes and no. I think yeah. that, uh, and I'll, I think like, yes, it can be helpful for some people, both straight and also queer, to hear that sort of like rationale. Um, I'll get to that in a second, but I think like, though, I think in general, my answer is no, because hmm. the sort of affirming, I don't know, explanation, argument, perspective, whatever you're going to call it, has been around for like 40, 50 years. And it's the same. Like, there's not new evidence <laughs> that um, that like hmm. they're wrong or there's not some like new take. I think like if if the perfect argument, like the perfect academic argument about Leviticus and Romans and Genesis existed like we would have already found it it would have already changed people's hearts and minds like it it, it exists right like all of mm. the sort of data that you need is there people aren't homophobic and policy isn't like straight supremacist because of like these bible passages people turn to these bible passages to either like justify their own sort of internal bias and bigotry or because they like don't really care one way or the other, but it's like can be used as a tool of like division and thus power. Hmm. And so I think like strategically, like this sort of gets back to that whole, like you're not going to argue someone to Christ thing. Like I think uh -huh. strategically you're not going to argue someone into LGBT affirmation by arguing about Leviticus or Sodom and Gomorrah or Romans one. And that like what we do instead is like, recruit the ones who like are already on board, but just need to be like mobilized and spend time nurturing folks that have open hearts and want to learn. They just like, don't have the language. They didn't know that the rooms were there for them. But when you're like, here it is like, cool. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm in. <laughs> right. And like build yeah. an alternative base of power, like such that it either like shames people into abandoning their perspective. Um, mm -hmm or keeps them quiet or like minimizes an opportunity for them to do harm. Or they realize like, oh, I was like thinking that the Bible said that because like, that's what all my friends told me it said, but now all of my friends tell me it doesn't say that. And so like, I know Christians like to think that they're not like swayed by what their friends think, but like right. most people are right. And so like, right. you just have to change the world around the homophobes and some significant portion of them will change also because of that. And the rest 
just need to have their sort of like ability to hurt queer people neutralized. And that I think strategically is how we move the conversation forward, right? There were abolitionists at the time that Bob Jones or like, you know, integrationists at the time that Bob Jones was giving those sermons. Like we've always known, (laughs) it's just that like the world around them supported this like white supremacist worldview and, and obviously still does. And so I don't think like, it wasn't like finding the right argument that talked people into ending slavery or integration. It was like sort of like seeing the fruits of Mm. that theology. And I think like the fruits of anti-LGBT like theology are very clear. It leads to division. It leads to self-harm. It leads to loss of Mm. faith. And the fruits of affirming theology are quite clear that it leads to like wholeness and reconciliation and a thriving of faith communities. And so like Mm. we sort of like lay out here's the consequences of your actions. I think that is strategically, you know, more effective. And so that said, like, I've been queer. Like I, I did the Google search looking for, well, how do I make sense of Leviticus or Romans? And I think some people feel in their hearts, like, I think it's okay. Or like, I want it to be okay. And I just like need the words. And so like, if that's you, like, there's 2,500 books out there that will all say the same thing like, that you can read. Like, I don't think we ever need another book about the clever passages. Um, and we, so we, I mean, I say that, but like we, so we also like made a workshop about the clever passages, but what we wanted to do differently was not just say, you know, here's how this passage has been used. Here's a translation. Here's that sort of issue. But also like, here's actually like embedded in Leviticus, a really like, wonderfully queer affirming message or in the story of Romans one, actually like, here's how Romans one is not just like wrong about it's not okay to be gay, but actually like has like a really liberating message for queer people. And then at the end of all of that, the way that you convince your parents or your pastor to get on board is not by trying to like share these arguments with them. It's about setting boundaries and taking care of yourself and then doing this other work. And so we try and teach people, like, if you do this for yourself, like, great. But then you got to sort of, like, put that away and then get practical about how do you take care of yourself and how do you change the world? And mm. arguing about Leviticus or Romans, I don't think is the way to do either of those things. No, you're right. I tried on my pastor and they asked me to leave my church. So yeah. <laughs> how here I am. You know? Yeah. Um, I, 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 that is helpful. The reason why I asked is because in the circle I'm in this, you know, new evangelical circle, which really is talking to the evangelical church primarily, right? There's a lot of people like myself who, you know, like you said, maybe these arguments have existed for four or five decades, but I'm just hearing about them for the first time because the circles I grew up in were like, no, the Bible is crystal clear. There's no argument. It's not yeah. orthodoxy. It's it, it's progressive, whatever, you know, Marxist, yeah. socialist, CRT, I don't know. <laughs> insert, yeah. insert Tucker Carlson, you know, scare tactic in there. Yeah. Um, and so a lot of people in my spaces are really discovering um, resources, maybe for the first time, like queer theology or even um, um, more academics like David Gushy, who wrote the book Changing Our Mind. Um, so, you know, for us, this is like good to know it's been there, but I got a lot of digging to do. And yeah. I think for people who are, I'll say like me and even like you to an extent, Brian, who are like naturally, what's the Bible say? Not even because it's necessarily like the ultimate moral book, but it's still somewhere in my psyche. Like the Bible has something to say here, right? I think people who are like that are just really curious, right? To understand scripture better, to understand what is the Bible? What do we do with it? And what's it actually talking about compared to what maybe we've translated 
in different in different ways uh, that that has actually caused a lot of harm to people. So that's kind of where I was digging around with that one. Yeah, I think that I would I like recognize an impulse, and I think that for folks who have that impulse, I would I would invite them to sort of like follow that mm. for a little bit, mm. but also to caution them that like yeah, it's really easy to get stuck there. Mm. Um, both in that's terms good. of like looking for the perfect argument. Or thinking that if I just explain this argument enough times to my pastor, he'll change. Um, Or, and also that like, if the problem is Leviticus was mistranslated and Corinthians was mistranslated, it allows you to keep the whole structure in place with just sort of like making these little tweaks. Mm. And I think that something richer happens when you like tear it all down and look at it all. Um, It also makes it so that like, you, especially this is if you're straight and cisgender, you don't ever really have to like engage with actual queer people and queer lives and queer experiences. If yes. all you're doing is having this like academic debate about translations yeah. and biblical authority and context, and you don't ever have to be held accountable to queer people. Mm. And I think it's so much more important for you to like enter into like queer activism, queer theology, learning by queer folks um, mm. to sort of like see like, well, like, not just, like, how is my version of Christianity okay for you to be a part of, but what do you know yes. about God that I don't and yes. that I can't unless I enter into your spaces? And so it's, mm. I think, like, for me as, like, queer people, it's, like, less about trying to, like, get let into the straight trick, but more about being, like, <laughs> right. God's over here. Do you want to come? Right. You're invited. And right. I think, like, as a white person and as a man, it's not, like, my job to make, like, white Christianity more welcoming for Mm. black folks though like that's important too but it's that like black americans have an insight into the divine that i don't have like women have an insight into the divine that i don't have and like god is over there it's not about like inviting them them to come me but it's liberating me in that process and so i want to make sure that straight cis folks in particular don't just stop at like it's okay for you to be part of my christianity but yes. I didn't get a little bit uncomfortable to say like, what if I'm, what if I'm the visitor? What if I'm the one who needs saving? Not, not the queer folks. I really like that. I think that's really good. And that's something that I think a lot of us, including me are slowly picking up on more and more like, wait a second, maybe it's not my table yeah. <laughs> that you're invited to. Right. And maybe I have some, well, man, that's some, maybe I have a lot of stuff to learn. So I really appreciate that. I think that's really, really good. I'm still uh, here. Okay, good. Just want to make sure. I'm like, and sometimes uh, my camera has a little moment. <laughs> Did you get raptured? Like, what just happened? <laughs> you know, so, I'm gonna, yeah. Well, listen, I, I mean, you should come back. Yeah, it's no problem. I mean, <laughs> there you are. You're back. Okay, right. cool. <laughs> it's no problem. I'm thinking, I'm like, oh, Shay, are you seeing what I'm saying? I'm just seeing a black box <laughs> over there. So, um, you know, okay. So, I guess maybe last question because I do want to. Um, you know, be able to have time, and we're gonna talk. We're gonna talk to Shay next week, and then the week after that, we'll wrap this up. But um, polyamory, if that's the term for, it. I don't want to yeah. open up a can of worms here, but you Let's made that you you made that point that you know um, you subscribe to that. What is polyamory? How did you kind of get there? Uh, and you have three minutes. Go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, so I think like three words that you might hear are polyamory, open relationships, ethical non monogamy. Yes. Sometimes people use them interchangeably. Like sometimes people say one is the umbrella. I would say like ethical non-monogamy is sort of like any way of doing, or just like non-monogamy is a way of doing things that are not monogamous. Right. Um, right. And so the idea that like 
my like love polyamory comes from like many in love like many loves that like my love doesn't have to be limited to one person um and that there's like room in my life for multiple sexual and or romantic partners and experiences and that like my love and connection commitment experiences with one person doesn't take away from my other ones and I think like Mm. As a Christian, the way that I really experience that deeply is sort of like, you know, like God's love is abundant. And so like, I think polyamory is sort of like a reflection of that, that like love is not a finite resource that I have to like, if I mm. love a second partner, I have to like split up my love bucket. <laughs> you only get half of a love and you get half of a love. <laughs> um, but like right. maybe actually with like cheeses and the fishes and the loaves, that like when you start sharing it, it actually multiplies. And then at the end of the day, there's even more of it to go around. Hmm. Um, and so like part of it comes from that part of it is just sort of like recognition that like, I don't own my partner and that we are hmm. two separate people on that when we are two people who are whole and like, choose to do life together, like we're both enriched by that. And also that like, I think like a purity culture says that sex has to be this like special thing. And so like, I don't know, I eat by myself sometimes and I eat, with friends sometimes and I eat in groups sometimes, you know, and like getting a picnic with a friend doesn't take away from the meals that I share with my partner. And so I think like sometimes I have sex by myself and sometimes I have sex with friends and sometimes I have sex in groups and like all Mm. like, you know, that doesn't have to be this weird, you know, like on different thing. Um, Mm. I think it was important for me to, to recognize. Um, Yeah. And so that is, I think is, a little bit in a nutshell, I think I could talk more about the ways in which that shows up in relationships and also the ways that shows up theologically, but I think that just sort of like from a top level. Yeah, that's yeah. really helpful. I, I, I'm getting, I'm seeing more and more of that discussion in my own feed with people I engage with. Someone on my account actually messaged me about this and said, yeah, I'm actually in a polyamorous relationship. Um, I was like, wow, I have so many questions. They were so gracious. You know, so, you know as again, growing up in purity culture, right? Yeah. It's just like, huh, like interesting. Am, am I allowed to ask these questions or not? And they were super gracious about it. And so I, as I just see that becoming maybe um, a more prominent, at least discussion and like, okay, what do we do with this? How do we handle it? Like, what is it, you know, what does it mean to be ethically uh, non-monogamous, et cetera? So I'm glad to have you kind of give that high level overview. And I'm sure, I'm sure there's gonna be a future episode where I'm like, Hey, uh, Brian, you want to come back on and go real deep on this? Cause I got a lot of questions for you. So yeah, <laughs> but, we but if folks are interested, now. we have at careertheology.com slash polyamory. We have right. some videos and some articles about sort of that. We, a few years ago, I made a video called Jesus is polyamorous, which kind of set Christian, Christian internet on fire a little bit. You know how to trigger people, man. (laughs) Yeah. Lots of very positive affirming messages, but also a lot of, you know, hate mail as well. And a few death threats and things like that. Oh Um, my gosh. Oh, that's terrible. People can, can look into that some more. I think it's the same thing with anyone that like some folks are excited to talk about it. And some folks are like, I just want to live my life. And so, you know, I talk about it publicly on purpose and your mileage may vary with like the random poly person at your book club. <laughs> right, right. Fair enough. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Totally. Well, listen, uh, Brian, it was great, you know, taking the time to kind of get your backstory and who you are. I appreciate making the time. Um, we'll wrap this part up and we'll go to part two and then we'll bring you back on for part three. So awesome. Fantastic. Thanks for being here. Thanks. Thanks.